order to vanquish the unspeakable Umar, Doctor Strange has liberated Zom from an imprisonment of ages. But now, with Umar gone, the monstrous Zom threatens to become the deadliest menace of all. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the fifth episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Doctor Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, we'll continue an extended storyline that started with the evil wizard Kalu attacking Doctor Strange. This story will take us from Stonehenge through dimensions beyond reason. We'll also be reintroduced to a mostly forgotten character from our first episode. Before we get to the issues, let me recap where we are in the series. Stephen Strange was an arrogant and a rich surgeon until a car accident cost him the use of his hands. Seeking a cure, Strange found his way to the Temple of the Ancient One in Tibet. Eventually, Strange began studying magic under the Ancient One, and after a few years became a master of the mystic arts. Other characters include Strange's master, the Ancient One, Strange's Asian manservant Wong, and Clea, a beautiful, if oddly haired, woman from another dimension. Recurring villains include Baron Mordo, Strange's former co-pupil under the Ancient One and General Evil Wizard, and Dormammu, flame-headed master of the Dark Dimension, which is where Clea lives as well. Recently, Dormammu was, was seemingly destroyed during a showdown with the all-powerful god-being Eternity. Baron Mordo was magically imprisoned by the Ancient One, and Clea was banished from reality to protect her from the wrath of Dormammu's sister Umar, who was about to kill the Ancient One during a, show, a magical showdown at Stonehenge, until Doctor Strange summoned the ultimate evil, Zom, to scare her off. That plan worked, but now our sorceress heroes have traded an Umar problem for a Zom problem, which takes us to today's issues. Also, before we start, if you want to read along with the podcast, all the issues in today's episode are available on the Marvel Unlimited app, and are collected in Essential Doctor Strange Volume 1 and Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange Volume 2. Also, all the comics in this issue have a story about Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I'll also be covering because they're fun. This is the last week of Nick Fury, though, so don't stress out. All you need to know about S.H.I.E.L.D. is that it's about spy stuff. It's the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury and not the Sam Jackson Nick Fury. And Nick and a female agent named Laura Brown are currently being held captive by the evil Hydra, including Supreme Hydra, the evil Nazi war criminal Baron Strucker. Which takes us to our first issue, Strange Tales number 157 from July 1967. I'll try to go through the S.H.I.E.L.D. stories quickly this time. So we're on Hydra Island and Fury is trapped until he takes some invisibility pills and escapes. He starts wrecking shop up and down Hydra Island until he is confronted by Strucker. Baron Strucker has gone to the equipment closet and gotten his ultimate weapon, the Satan Claw, which is a red metal glove that makes him super strong in just the hand, I suppose, and is able to shoot fire and other things. Next issue, we'll see if this is the end of Nick Fury. It is the end of The Ancient One, produced by the Masters of Mythopoeia, spellbinding Stan Lee and magical Marie Severin, inking Herb Trimby, lettering Artie Semek. By their amulets shall ye know them. Zom attacks! 
So just to remind you how crazy looking Zom is, he's 20 feet tall, hairy like a Wookiee. He wears a blue vest, an orange belt, purple briefs, and yellow loafers. His hands are bound in these spiked metal caps that look like the top of fancy salt and pepper shakers. He's got a big knit necklace potato head with one long lock of hair coming off his forehead. This will be important later. So to return to the story, Zom attacks. His attacks take the form of beams that resemble a musical staff. So five black lines. Doctor Strange is barely able to avoid being destroyed by these beams. The Ancient One is not so lucky and is encased in one of the standing stones of Stonehenge. As the Ancient Ones becomes part of the stone, he warns slash gives a hint to Strange saying, The Forelock, and passes his mystic power onto Doctor Strange. After some more fighting, Strange realizes that the Ancient One was referring to the hair growing out of Zom's forehead and flies up and magically cuts off Zom's forelock. Unhand the mystic topknot, mortal, is the dialogue here. It's pretty great. So, as he does this, Zom tags Strange with one of his salt shakers, and the cloak of levitation burns. Also burning is the top of Zom's head, where the forelock once was. Zom is pissed, because now nothing can stop the coming of the living tribunal. But before the living tribunal actually arrives, Zom tries to finish off Strange but is unsuccessful. Finally, the Living Tribunal comes. The Tribunal banishes Zom to parts unknown. He'll return in a few different forms over the coming years, especially during World War Hulk. And then we get our first look at the Living Tribunal. It is also 20 feet tall, a huge golden Ken doll with a big light in its chest. Its head floats above its body and has three faces with a piece of cloth draped over the head. The right face is completely covered by the cloth, and the left face is half covered. The Living Tribunal explains that by severing the forelock, Strange has upset the cosmic balance, and now Earth must be destroyed. Which takes us to Strange Tales number 158 from July 1967. The final showdown with Hydra on shield. After a bunch of fighting, Fury removes Stricker's Satan Claw with the belt lasso. <laughs> Then there's a lot of shell game stuff with perfect rubber masks, like in the first two Mission Impossible movies. Or I guess those are like this. But anyhow, Nick and Laura escape just as Hydra Island explodes awesomely. Take that, bad guys. The Doctor Strange story is The Sands of Death. Stan Lee prestigiously presents a Roy Thomas, Marie Severin, talismanic tour de force, inked by Herb Trimpey, lettered by Artie Semek. Mystic Masters All. I'm just sort of noticing that these credits are mashing up the writer and artist together instead of giving each a job separately. It's odd. So the Cloak of Levitation has been destroyed, as has the Ancient One, and the Living Tribunal is talking quite a bit about destroying Earth. The story until this point is then recapped several times, <laughs> though they usually leave out Kalu. But generally just be aware that from the start of the third issue on last week's episode, to the end of this episode is all one crazy 22-issue story where one omnipotently powerful bad guy is replaced by another. The destruction of Zom's forelock has set off a chain reaction around Earth, massively empowering its wizards and sorcerers, especially the evil ones. While not that bad on their own, soon these wizards will start to team up, and their power will be unstoppable. 
That's why the Living Tribunal has to destroy the Earth. It's only fair. Note that the art of the Living Tribunal destroying the Earth was later used by Pink Floyd for their Saucer Full of Secrets album. Doctor Strange tries to get the Living Tribunal to spare Earth, saying that he will deal with these evil magicians before they can threaten the multiverse. The Living Tribunal is skeptical. I mean, how can Strange be tough enough to do this job if his cloak of levitation has been destroyed? Taking the challenge, Doctor Strange casts a spell. By the crimson bands of Sidorak, by Hogoth's hoary horde, by the dreaded demons of Danak, my cloak now rise restored. And it works. The cloak is restored and Strange is back in business. The tribunal can't give him a ton of time to deal with the evil sorcerers, however. The tribunal creates a giant hourglass and Strange must undo the evil wrought by Zom before it runs out. The chase is on. Oh, also at some point during or just after this confrontation, Strange Astral projects to upstate New York to Uncanny X-Men number 33, where we see a flashback of the young Ancient One, I suppose just the one at that point, encountering a mystic gem that is a physical representation of the often-mentioned Crimson Bands of Sidorak, which are now physically manifesting as the armbands that you'll see on the X-Men villain Juggernaut, which give him his powers. Note that it's the armbands that give Juggernaut his powers, not the helmet, which just blocks him from psychic attacks like those of his brother-in-law, Charles Xavier. It's complicated. Doctor Strange arrives at the X-Mansion to help Cyclops and Marvel Girl acquire that same gem in the present day, which eventually banishes the Juggernaut to a distant dimension. This guest appearance isn't big enough for its own full recap, but it's worth mentioning because we'll bump into a dimensionally banished Juggernaut not too long from now. So we go to Strange Tales number 159 from August 1967. Things are back to normal in S.H.I.E.L.D. as our heroes chill out after a job well done. Nick Fury visits his apartment, which is pretty awesome. It's got crazy modern art and some kind of Conan-based statuary. Eventually, he pulls a Wayne Campbell and goes to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters and then walks into a room full of people training to be in a James Bond movie. This leads to a fight with Captain America, who's also visiting the S.H.I.E.L.D. facility that day. And that means that both of the second stories in Strange Tales have featured a Captain America fight. Fury eventually loses when he's caught in the blast of one of his own exploding cigars. Also in this story, we meet Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine, Italian Lady S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and eventually Nick Fury paramour. The Doctor Strange story is The Evil That Men Do. The credits are a concert poster, 48th smash issue. The math checks out, I checked. <laughs> Stan Lee Productions proudly present a Roy Thomas, Marie Severin, all-star, amulet-studded artistic achievement in collaboration with Herb Trimpey Inker, Al Kuzrock Letterer, Irving Forbrush, Popcorn Popper. Doctor Strange returns to Greenwich Village and the crater that once held the Sanctum Sanctorum. It turns out that Wong survived the building's destruction, and he fills Strange in on the events. Strange manages to undo the spell that has destroyed the building, and he then uses the reconstructed Gleaming Crystal of Agamotto, his magic globe, to check out how the magical apocalypse is going. It's going bad. We see people all over the world getting magic powers and running amok. There are a bunch of newspapers with magic-based headlines 
including a Spanish one saying, The leche es verde, que pasa? The milk is green, what's up? And a Swedish one saying, Gamla gubi fluga over cornhust, fargahar? Old man flies over cronhust. How? I think I'm not, I'm not as good at Swedish as I am with Spanish. We see one of these new magic practitioners has just stolen a bunch of art. He's wearing a monocle and enjoying the art when a Middle Eastern stereotype with a red turban walks into his mansion. The turban guy mind controls the monocle guy and forces him to join a brotherhood of evil magicians performing a dark ritual to purge all the good out of the monocle guy. The turban guy bears the mark of his master and it's an M, just FYI. Strange catches the trail of the turban guy just as he and his cabal of brainwashed, gray-robe-clad wizards, there's like 20 or 30 of them, summon their master into being. Dr. Strange tries to stop them, but it's too late. The master has been summoned. And who could that master be? We know it's a powerful sorcerer, and that his name starts with M. Who could it be? Yeah, it's, it's Mordo. <laughs> All right, Mordo's back. Which takes us to Strange Tales number 160 from September 1967. S.H.I.E.L.D. is getting crazy this issue. After being introduced to the one seemingly non-stereotypical Asian character in Marvel Comics, smooth FBI man Jimmy Woo, we hear a story that's essentially Captain America and Nick Fury reminiscing about the big northeastern blackout of 1965 when they thwarted alien space invaders teleporting into the base of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> or if not aliens, then at least science fictionally equipped humans. The issue ends with both heroes seemingly falling to their deaths, with Fury being thrown from the torch of Lady Liberty and Captain America using an alien grav belt to go to the Fantastic Four to get help, but the belt mal malfunctioning. I told you it was crazy. If this planet you would save. Stan Lee, that seer of seers, presents a Raymond Murray, Marie Severin saga of sorcery, surprise, and spellbinding suspense, inked by Herb Trimby, lettered by Al Kurzrock, robes by Forbrush of Transylvania Limited. And they're working overtime because this is a very robe-heavy issue. The first half of the issue is basically the sunglasses fight from They Live. If you aren't familiar with that movie, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper fights American treasure Keith David to put on a pair of magic sunglasses that would allow Goliath and Gargoyles to see the zombie aliens controlling the Earth. Admiral Anderson from Mass Effect says no, and he and Rowdy Roddy Piper get in a massive fight scene. The first half of this comic is basically the same, with Doctor Strange as Rowdy Roddy Piper and Baron Mordo as Childs from the Thing and I guess the Living Tribunal's end-of-the-world hourglass as the sunglasses. But eventually, Strange is able to explain the situation and actually pulls the Zom energy, giving the wizards extra power from one of Mordo's robed goons and throws it into Mordo, powering him up. The two team up, and apparently the plan is to suck all the Zom energy out of the robed sorcerers and then channel it into Mordo, and then... Strange and Mordo will go to the Living Tribunal to turn the energy in? It's not super clear what the step two of this three-part plan is. 
Step one is definitely to channel a ton of mystical energy into Mordo, and step three is profit. I mean, the world is destroyed. <laughs> One of those two. Anyway, you'll be shocked, shocked to learn that once he's given a ton of extra magical energy, Mordo turns on Doctor Strange and tries, seemingly successfully, to kill him. Curse you, Mordo, for your sudden but inevitable betrayal. A lot of references in this issue, actually. Uh, before we go to the next issue, though, I should mention some henchman news. The henchman I was calling Turban Guy last issue was caught by Doctor Strange early in the issue and was summarily brainwashed and returned to his former life as an Oriental wine merchant. The emphasis is in the original. Also, one of the hooded goons has been revealed to be Victoria Bentley. You'll remember her as the lady who saved Doctor Strange when he was trapped by candles way back in our first episode in Strange Tales number 114 in 1963. Back then, I said, Victoria Bentley does eventually return in Strange Tales, but not until issue 160 in September 1967, when all kinds of crazy things are happening, including the Living Tribunal, one of my faves. <laughs> and here we are. This takes us to Strange Tales number 161 from October 1967. In S.H.I.E.L.D., we're back explaining how Nick Fury and Captain America were involved in the New York blackout in 1965. In last issue, both were falling to their deaths, and in this issue, both are caught. Captain America by Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards, and Nick Fury grabs the crown of the Statue of Liberty. It turns out that the blackout was caused by all the power in the northeastern United States being required to power a laser gun Captain America uses to blast the invaders. I didn't think Captain America used guns, but needs must when the devil drives, I suppose. It turns out that Jimmy Woo has an idea of who funded the invaders, and it's his big enemy, the extremely problematic supervillain, the Yellow Claw. The word yellow in the name of an Asian character somehow seems way worse than the word black in a character of African descent. Ugh. And a scourge shall come upon you. By the wildly waving hand of Stan Lee is cast this Raymond Murray Dan Adkins' work of wondrous wizardry, lettered by Al Kurzrock. Two things. I'm pretty sure Mordo is wearing a pair of plain old pinstripe pants under his wizard garb, and they've totally misspelled Raymond Murray's name in the credit box. They left out the Y. Also, Maurice Severin is off the book, and Dan Adkins is our artist for the rest of this episode. So Baron Mordo is super powerful as all the magical Zom energy is now flowing through him. He banishes Doctor Strange to another dimension. Then he gathers up his soulless slaves to do some general evil. I don't know if I like him calling his mind-controlled goons as slaves right to their face. That seems like bad management, Baron Mordo. Anyhow, Strange spends a lot of this episode doing what he does best in this whole storyline, which is falling aimlessly through an endless void of trippy backgrounds. Meanwhile, one of... Mordo's slaves, our old friend Victoria Bentley, has remembered the events of Strange Tales number 114. This seems to cause some kind of Mordo failsafe, and Bentley is sent to the same crazy dimension as Strange, where she's menaced by a giant purple ant until Doctor Strange can save her. They wonder how they both ended up in the same one of seemingly endless infinite dimensions. And the answer comes in the form of Nebulos, Lord of the Planets Perilous. 
who claims to have brought them both there for reasons we'll see next week. Also, just so you know, Nebulous looks like if you had a big green candle in the shape of like a Buddha and then melted the exterior of that candle pretty aggressively. So let's move to Strange Tales number 162 from November 1967. In S.H.I.E.L.D., we spent a ton of time checking out Nick Fury's new Ferrari with a level of detail and preciseness of technical specs that make me assume that this was either paid for by Ferrari or Jim Steranko has just bought a Ferrari in 1967 and is very excited about it. Anyhow, S.H.I.E.L.D. uses its almost certainly unconstitutional ESP division to find the Yellow Claw using Jimmy Woo's brain. Fury tracks down some Yellow Claw agents who look just like yellow palette-swapped versions of Racer X from Speed Racer and tries to infiltrate using the oldest trick in the book, i.e. wearing the bad guy's clothes. The oldest trick doesn't work, though, and Fury is dropped down a trap door into a tank of water with a boss giant octopus in it. Neato! From the Neverworld comes Nebulos! From the workshop of the Wondersmith Stan Lee comes this Jim Lawrence, Dan Adkins epic of enchantment, lettered by Sam Rosen, loused up by Irving Forbrush. <laughs> Doctor Strange and Victoria Bentley are confronted by the giant green floating melted candle that is Nebulos. And for all he looks evil, Nebulos actually seems like a pretty decent guy. He loans Strange his staff of polar power and uses his magical essence to protect Doctor Strange. Technically, he polarizes him with Nebulos's own planetary force, then teleports Strange directly to Mordo's house. A huge wizard fight breaks out, but Strange ends up winning easily thanks to the staff. In the end, Strange banishes Mordo with this pretty awesome spell. By the Seraphim's dread shadow, by Munipor's moonlit veil, Get thee hence, foul spawn of evil, far beyond the cosmic pale. And Mordo is gone. Maybe forever? Nah. But with Mordo beaten, that means the Zom energy is banished, and Earth is saved, right? Doctor Strange teleports to Stonehenge to check, but nope, the magical hourglass is still running. He tries to blast the hourglass with the staff, but then is instantly teleported to an awesome moonscape where Nebulos reveals that he's taken Victoria Bentley hostage, and he has a big crazy plan cooked up. But before he can explain what, uh-oh, here comes the Living Tribunal again. Strange Tales number 163, December 1967. In S.H.I.E.L.D. this month, it's octopus fighting time. After taking down the cephalopod, Fury goes to stop an AIM shipment of a super weapon that the Yellow Claw seeks to steal. He takes along with him new agent Clay Quartermain, who has a ridiculous haircut, a super confident attitude, and a personal will that allows him to never stop smiling or open his eyes, even when fighting AIM goons. Anyhow, the shipment leads them to a researcher who Fury impersonates to try to catch the Yellow Claw, but instead the Claw hypnotizes Fury and hits him with the weapon, the Ultimate Annihilator. And it seems like Fury has actually been ultimately annihilated. Bad times. It's also bad times with Doctor Strange and the Three Faces of Doom. Stan Lee eminently MCs this Jim Lawrence, Dan Adkins, planetary pulse stopper, lettered by the quivering quill of Al Kurzrock. 
So it turns out that the staff Nebulos loaned Doctor Strange to fight Mordo last issue actually sucked all the evil Zom power out of Mordo and gave it to Nebulos. So now Earth is saved, but the Tribunal has to drop the hammer on Nebulos. Thus, this issue is mostly a three-way fight between the Living Tribunal, Nebulos, and Doctor Strange. Strange is super outmatched by the other combatants, but he feels the need to get involved because Nebulos has taken Victoria Bentley hostage, and Doctor Strange can't save her if he can't find her. So basically, the Tribunal and Nebulos go back and forth, and whenever the Tribunal is about to win, Doctor Strange blasts the Tribunal, upsetting the balance. In the end, though, Doctor Strange decides that Nebulos's evil must be stopped, and he steals the scepter at a key moment, causing Nebulos to be buried under a literal avalanche of death and destruction. For real this time, Nebulos never returns. In exchange for the help, the Living Tribunal agrees to teleport Strange to the world that Victoria Bentley was sent to, which we'll see next issue. Strange Tales number 164 from July 1969. This is the first issue of Strange Tales where the Doctor Strange story comes first. I'll still do S.H.I.E.L.D. real quick though, just so our format stays the same. So it looks like instead of being ultimately annihilated by the Ultimate Annihilator, Nick Fury was instead teleported away at his last second, which is kind of bold in my opinion. At some point this comic has to figure out where its tech level is at, hopefully in the last five issues. Because now suddenly the Yellow Claw is at, has a space base with the Annihilator on it. However, it looks like Fury didn't get away scot-free, as he's now diagnosed with plot-related fatigue. So, he'll be perfectly fine until a plot-relevant moment, like another showdown with the, ye with the Yellow Claw, where he ends up passing out and waking up tied to a bed, his body positioned in between the Ultimate Annihilator and the city of New York. How embarrassing. So back to the front of the issue, it's time for Nightmare. Stan Lee, brewer of brooding fantasies, uncorks this ominous opus by Jim Lawrence and Dan Adkins, inscribed in the lurid and legendary lettering of Al Kuzrak. So Doctor Strange is on the hunt for Victoria Bentley. He's been teleported to this planet by the Living Tribunal, and when he lands, after some more extremely solid falling aimlessly through the void of space action on the splash page, Doctor Strange finds himself on a strange planet full of crazy monsters. He fights a big laser-shooting one-eyed gray worm, then a giant purple bat thing. Eventually he escapes into a cave where he finds a huge laser beam device that zaps a telepathic message into his head. It informs him that Victoria Bentley has been kidnapped by Yandroth, Scientist Supreme. Doctor Strange is outmatched, and Bentley will be Yandroth's queen. Turn back or be destroyed. That kind of thing. <laughs> Strange is not deterred and continues into the tunnels. Also, just for the record, Yandroth is a bald human-looking guy in a green button-down shirt and a black vest. He's extremely well put together. But so basically, it's Super Scientist vs. Super Sorcerer, like that episode in Season 2 of The Venture Brothers, Escape to the House of Mummies Part 2, where Dr. Orpheus and Dr. Venture have a big argument about the differences between their relative abilities. I'm not going to do the bit here, but it's worth checking out on the old Netflix. But this takes us to Strange Tales number 165 from February 1968. The issue is again started by the S.H.I.E.L.D. story, and the art is pretty nifty. There's a two-page spread of Our Boys in the Hell 
carrier assaulting the Yellow Claw's space base using grappling hooks. And I always love a grappling hook. Anyhow, the Yellow Claw escapes by turning into an optical illusion. Fury tries to take him out with a technological slingshot, but no dice. Yellow Claw escapes, cackling laughter in classic supervillain fashion. The Mystic and the Machine. From the forbidden files of Stan Lee comes this halcyon, hallucinatory happening, tensely told by Jip, Jim Lawrence, pipe-dreamed and pictured by Dan Atkins, lettered behind locked doors by Al Kurzrock. Doctor Strange is infiltrating Leandroth's hideout to free Victoria Bentley. Leandroth's base is full of traps, as you'd expect, the main one being a gun turret right out in the foyer of his base. Strange blasts this turret, but doesn't see the one behind him and is blasted in turn. Yandroth heads down to inspect Strange's dead body, but luckily Doctor Strange was prepared for this and astral projected right before the beam impacted him, so he's unhurt because when he astral projects, the body he leaves behind is immune from all damage. This leads to a showdown where Strange destroys Yandroth's Q-Blaster. Yandroth always calls it that specifically because Yandroth's powers include being always on brand and disarming him. But Yandroth remembers the ultimate weapon in the universe, the swift punch to the jaw, and he escapes. This leads to more conventional fighting with punches and headbutts as both Yandroth and Strange duke it out. Doctor Strange seems to have won until Yandroth summons his ace in the hole, a giant robot with electronic drumsticks called Voltor, with two R's. They'll try to tell you that the drumsticks are atomic electrodes or something, but this is clearly a drummer bot that has been repurposed for murder. Which takes us to Strange Tales number 166 from March 1968. In the S.H.I.E.L.D. story, Nick Fury uses some kind of proto-wingsuit, followed by scuba diving action, to infiltrate the Yellow Claw's undersea hideout. The Claw's a lot of hideouts. Meanwhile, Jimmy Woo gets kidnapped by Yellow Claw. He's tied to a death trap, but is saved by Sue Wan, the Yellow Claw's niece and Jimmy's fiance, who's finally done something to merit mention in this segment instead of just standing by and crying about how evil her uncle is. Unfortunately, she's then immediately killed by the death trap she saved Jimmy from. Jimmy Woo blames both the Yellow Claw and Nick Fury for this. They'll both pay, you hear? He swears it. Meanwhile, nothing can halt Voltorg. Stanley triggers off this triple threat thriller, told by Jim Lawrence, drawn by George Tuska, plotted and inked by Dan Adkins, voice creations by Artie Semek. Hey, Artie's back on the comic, all right. So the drummer robot from last issue has had its name changed from Voltor to Voltorg. No one knows why, and forget it, Jake, it's Robot Town. So it's Wizard vs. Robot Fight. Dot first, Doctor Strange magically blinds the robot, so it just runs amok, blasting everything in Yandroth's base like a huge goon. Soon everything is on fire and blasting out radiation, but not before Voltorg can see again and he blasts Doctor Strange. Eventually, Strange manages to destroy Voltorg, first by magically melting its face off, then making it run through some walls and stuff. As always, taking out robots is a low-calorie kill, but I can't help but wonder if there's some robot band out there that won't have any percussion tonight because of this fight, and that's sad. Doctor Strange follows Yandroth and arrives just in time to see Yandroth and Victoria 
disappear through teleport tubes. Which are what they sound like, you know, uh, tubes that teleport. Doctor Strange gives chase and ends up back on Earth at Stonehenge. There, he sees the giant floating head of the Ancient One, who will remember was merged into the stones of Stonehenge back in issue 157. Is the Ancient One still alive? Or is this some evil phantasm conjured up to wreak Doctor Strange's doom? We'll find out in this issue, Strange Tales number 167, from April 1968. But first, S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of a mind freak, this issue, like full Chris Angel. As Jimmy Woo mourns the lost Suwon, the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. takes down Yellow Claw. It culminates in the Claw and Nick Fury having an awesome op-art mind duel, which Nick Fury wins by having a mind-amplifying gizmo built into his eye patch. But then he removes the Yellow Claw's armor, and the Yellow Claw is a robot this whole dang time? And then it turns out that all this story was a chess game that Doctor Doom was playing somehow? Like he's even got a custom chess board with chess pieces that look like everyone involved in the story? And it's all been just a game for him? Not cool, Doctor Doom. Well, well, kind of cool. But still, alright? This dream. This doom. Stan Lee supervised this stunning spectacle of startling sorcerific splendor from the pens of demonic Denny O'Neill, scripter, the druidic Dan Adkins, artist, adroitly ad assisted by Sam Rosen, letterer. So the Ancient One is now a normal-sized whole body instead of a giant floating head, and he explains how he was playing possum with Sam, only pretending to be fully merged with the Stones of Stonehenge, so whatever. Strange and the Ancient One fly quickly back to the Ancient One's mystic retreat, where they do a magical control F to search the Earth for Victoria Bentley. She's nowhere to be found, so they switch to a more general search around the dimensions, more like a control F of the whole computer instead of just one document, to strain a metaphor. And they do find her in the dread dimension of dreams. When attempts to save her through the search spell are ineffective, Doctor Strange uses a magical gem to enter the dimension of dreams himself. There's some general falling through space stuff. And finally, Strange arrives. He sees Yandroth and Victoria right away, when suddenly the dream dimension starts going crazy. First, a Godzilla-like fire-breathing monster. Then, a pair of Viking warriors start to advance on Doctor Strange. He has to fight them, or they'll attack Yandroth and Victoria. Meanwhile, Yandroth is drawing a bead on Doctor Strange to cure-ray him in the back. And so we arrive at Strange Tales number 168 from May 1968. Jim Strenko is going crazy in Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. this issue. It's full of dynamic poses, complex panel arrangements, and a really awesome collage of a ruined cityscape under a giant moon at the end. Definitely worth checking out. The story itself is about some aliens that show up offering peace, but actually being big monsters that destroy the world. But then it's all actually a dream Fury is having. Sleep well, Nick. See you in a long time. Exile. Eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, the wonders wrought herein by the indomitable imaginations of Stan Lee editor, Denny O'Neill scripter, Dan Adkins artist, Sam Rosen letterer. So Yandroth's Q-Ray misses Doctor Strange, but sends him hurtling through the dimension of dreams until the Ancient One can call him on the magic gem and help Strange recover. As Yandroth gloats about Strange's apparent death, 
He's forgotten about the giant monster bearing down on him and Victoria. She runs away, and Yandroth faces the music. Yandroth blasts the behemoth, and as he does, Doctor Strange sneaks up behind him and hits him with a cloak attack. The Cloak of Levitation grabs Yandroth and prevents him from accessing the items on his super science utility belt. Meanwhile, Victoria Bentley is being chased by those Vikings that randomly showed up last issue. Strange's concentration is split be between saving Victoria and restraining Yandroth, and Doctor Strange makes the fateful decision to drop Yandroth into the void of the Dimension of Dreams, where he'll float through the nothingness forever, or at least until the formation of the Defenders in about three years. So the stress of being in the Dimension of Dreams and being chased by Vikings, Lady Vikings FYI, has driven Victoria insane. Because of this, after the Ancient One pulls them back to Earth, they wipe her memory of trauma. And with that one final brainwashing, we're done with this massive adventure. It started in Strange Tales number 147 in August 1966, and here we are 21 issues later, totally the better for it. <laughs> as well as the plot line, this is the end of Doctor Strange in Strange Tales. Starting next episode, we'll be following the Doctor's adventures in his own comic book. It retains the numbering of Strange Tales for some possibly complicated publishing reason. So the first issue is actually Doctor Strange number 169. As for Strange Tales, it'll be out of print for about five years when it'll return with stories, ironically, about Brother Voodoo. It'll feature characters like this trying to start their own solo comics, like Brother Voodoo, The Living Gollum, or Adam Warlock, until eventually it'll just start reprinting old Doctor Strange stories with new covers until the title is cancelled in November 1976. In all, I thought these were a pretty fun set of issues, though I could have done without the Yellow Claw. That is a rough character. Also, it's weird how they keep referring to women as females throughout this set of issues. It's just a weird nomenclature choice, I suppose. I'm sort of torn between being more and more excited as the stakes get higher and higher, as each increasingly omnipotent being is introduced in Doctor Strange, and sort of feeling like... In the end, the Power Overlord kind of lowers the stakes overall, like it just becomes all-powerful Overlord of Distant Dimension of the Week. It can get a little samey is what I want to say sometimes. But anyway, next week we're in a whole new comic with full Doctor Strange stories, no anthology stuff. On the one hand, I'll miss the further adventures of Johnny Storm or Nick Fury, but I'm excited for longer and more intense Doctor Strange stories, and hopefully the single story format might make these episodes a little shorter. <laughs> if you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram at strangerbythedozen, Twitter at strangerbythe12, that's strangerbythe12, and on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com. During the week, I'll post a bunch of images and quotes from the issues covered this week, so keep an eye out. And I'm launching StrangerByTheDozen.com, a website where you'll be able to find new episodes and visual companions to each episode with all the art that I think is cool and relevant for what we talked about during the podcast. You can find Stranger by the Dozen on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any other podcasting app. Until next time, faithful listener, I say... So far, I have sought only to defend myself, to reason with you, Mordo, 
but now it is clear that only sheer, unadulterated power can breach the twisted bastion of your cruel rage. You who would toy with the mystic forces, now witness how those fearsome powers are used by one who has truly mastered them. Behold, Mordo, neither you nor all your multitude can stand before the unrelenting power of the true master of the mystic arts.